0: Court documents filed in the United States have revealed that five Canadians are among those charged in a massive FBI drug operation. The huge investigation took down more than a dozen alleged traffickers and was sparked by one informant who infiltrated into the senior ranks of the operation. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10 3. National Post reporter Adrian Humphreys joins me to discuss how this informant worked to bring down this network, what parts of Canada the investigation reached, and what we know about the people charged. Don't forget you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Amazon Music. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about the show. So Adrian, as many listeners may know, you cover organized crime extensively, including Canadian ties to international crime rings. You had an interesting piece recently about kind of a a larger operation that kind of spanned North America, uh, had many tentacles. I'm just wondering, can you give people an overview of what was Operation Dead Hand?
1: Absolutely, Dave. This because. You know, we hear so much about the opiate crisis and the drug crisis in Canada, and you know, at the back of everyone's mind must be, well, how is all this stuff getting here? And Operation Dead Hand provided a, a fantastic window into at least one way uh, that the drugs were allegedly getting into Canada. And it was quite a sprawling operation to move uh, drugs from Mexico originally into Los Angeles, and then from Los Angeles to have a, a network of of American distributors and Canadian truck drivers and Alleged Canadian drug bosses um, working to to collect the drugs uh, in L.A., move them into Canada, and then distribute it. Um, one network funding, uh, funding feeding uh, the Ontario market, one feeding the uh, Montreal market, and it was quite a, quite a, a large, uh, rather complicated and uh, um, investigation uh, uncovering quite a network of uh, moving substantial quantities.
0: And a lot of this information came out of FBI filings in in the wake of uh, massive arrests in this case. But as as far as you can tell, it all started with an Edmonton man. How who was this Edmonton man, and how did he land on police radar?
1: Yeah, it's it, it's an interesting thing I, I I've uncovered here because uh, you're right; it comes from American filings because uh, in Canada you hear absolutely nothing. But um, the RCMP actually started this whole thing off by uh, they had their. Um, their eyes on a, a man in edmonton who was suspected of moving um, uh, drugs into into canada uh, using long-haul truck drivers and uh, they had him under investigation and found out that he had um, uh, drug stash houses in california so he was he was ramping up he was involved in several two three uh warehouse type operations in la and in the suburbs around la so they notified orange county police and they put the the place, the, the guy's condo under under surveillance. Followed him around and watched him pick up bags and and boxes at gas stations and parking lots, and then meeting up with eighteen uh, wheeler drivers who then you know put the, these boxes and bags into their eighteen wheelers and then headed out on the highway north. And uh, and the police uh, in the states then started picking off these trucks. So, you know, they watch them for a little bit and they wait till it wavers over the line or they go a clump or a mile over the speed limit uh, and then pull them over, find an excuse to search and they uncover the drugs, the arrested driver, and they've got some seizures. And um, that, was, that was what they were, you know, looking at in that case. But one of the truck drivers they arrested um, ended up Really, making that just the appetizer for what became a much bigger enterprise, because the driver had a very specific and very enticing offer uh, for the FBI.
0: And uh, uh, what was the offer? Did he did he decide I'm going to turn informant? I'm going to work with the FBI. And and where did that go from there? Where did that lead to in terms of uh, the in- roots of investigation here?
1: He offered to be a world class snitch. So you know, there's all kinds of different informants uh, in the underworld, and 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 uh, and, you know, some of them just testify in in a specific court case and then disappear into the witness protection program. Others um, have um, you know offer or are able to provide more you know bigger services, more penetrative services. And this guy uh, offered to work as a confidential human source, as the FBI calls them, rats or snitch, as most people would call them uh, in layman's terms. And, um, and he turned out to be extremely good at it. He, he wasn't just a driver. He was a guy who had been working in a much, what turned out to be a much larger network. He said that the Edmonton guy wasn't the boss. He was just yet another one of the, you know, the cogs in the ring that the, the real boss, um, that he, that he knew of, um, was, uh, was a Brampton guy involved in trucking and that he had all the connections that he through that Brampton guy to the, to the drug suppliers, the Mexican drug suppliers, and and several of the distributors in the United States, and uh, and he offered to uh, to allow the FBI to infiltrate the whole darn thing.
0: And, and so what did investigators learn about this other Canadian guy, this guy out in Brampton, uh, based on the FBI filings?
1: Well, the allegations against uh, uh, the Brampton guy, very little is sort of known about him, but, um, but he, you know, he, he's involved in trucking. And uh, they say that uh, uh, Gramit Sidhu, a uh, 60-year-old Brampton guy, was um, allegedly one of the bosses of one of two networks that were indicted. So ultimately, uh, the FBI and the informant uncovered two two drug rings. Uh, like I said, one feeding Ontario, one feeding Montreal, and they allege, uh, untested in court yet, that uh, Mr. Sidhu was in fact uh, running uh, the Ontario branch of the operation. Now, how we uh, how the FBI makes those allegations, how they they uh, you know the evidence that they gathered is 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 quite interesting because. The way they operated was using encrypted phones and the informant used uh you know an fbi monitored phone and so he was contacting his you know the guys that he knew as uh mexican suppliers and said hey you know do you need anything product moving and they said why yes yes i do and so he said i need 100 kilos Bringing to, uh, to of cocaine to to uh, Baltimore, I have two hundred kilos of cocaine of, of meth needs to go to uh, Montreal. I need this, I need that, and so then he reached out to the people that he knew. He says he knew as he'd worked with before that were were truck drivers. Um, some of them Canadian, some of them American, and he would he would then arrange to, uh, for the truck driver to take the load. And and all of this was gathered, monitored, uh, recorded by the FBI. Um, and, you know, the photos they sent amongst each other of the loads being delivered and the loads being collected, and he was arranging for the uh, the loads to go. And then and then we returned to that same sort of scenario we, we had w- that brought down the Edmonton guy originally was that they started picking off the loads on the highway and, and gathering that evidence. And it really spun crazily out of control when they convinced the guy, or he volunteered, who knows, uh, to wear a wire to meetings <laughs> with in Mexico, with alleged cartel members, and in fact, one of the bosses of uh, allegedly from Canada.
0: So this this informant was really deep into this this network, right? Like he just wasn't a truck driver, but he was setting meetings, and and he was was really in on on I guess trying to prove his worth to the FBI, as it were.
1: Yeah, I mean, he was the hub of the wheel. Like he became um, like everyone everyone had drugs that needed moving. And and that's one of the most difficult parts of the drug trade. I mean, the supply is almost limitless in, in, in Mexico. The difficulty is getting it somewhere where it's more valuable, right? So the further cocaine and methamphetamine get from the source, the more valuable they become. That's why so much goes to Australia. A lot of it comes to Canada, England. The places to get it to that are furthest away from its source is the biggest bang for your buck. So everyone had the stuff, but getting it there became the problem. And this guy was the solution, they thought to all of their problems. So he was incredibly popular. He was arranging for uh, immense amounts of material to uh, to be to be traveled across the US and into Canada.
0: And as you mentioned like the, this also revealed further tentacles into the Canadian crime network. How did this investigation link to if not the Montreal Mafia, at least a name that may be familiar to those who kind of follow the criminal underworld in Canada.
1: Right. Well, as Mr. Sedu was allegedly uh, head of the or part of the leading members of the Brampton or Ontario um, end of it, there was uh, a load that was going to Montreal. The uh, FBI alleges in their court documents that the, the, that, uh, the informant arranged for a quite a uh, uh, a mixed load actually of heroin and and co- uh, cocaine to to be uh, travel, sent by a truck it arrived across the border in a truck the fbi say on december 1st 2022 and uh and it was then um, moved to montreal and it was to be delivered at a warehouse in montreal and uh, the informant was the one that was arranging uh, for this delivery and in fact, it was so explicit it was quite difficult to find a little turn into the warehouse driveway from the, from the from the road in downtown Montreal, well not quite downtown, but uh in the, in, in Montreal where to turn and so there's all these text messages in a group chat with the uh, alleged buyer and the the informant and the you know the supplier in Mexico all talking about this deal and where to turn and my guy will be there to collect it. And of course, the RCMP knew exactly when and where it was expected to arrive, courtesy of the FBI, courtesy of the informant. And so the RCMP were there waiting for this uh, cargo to arrive uh, in Montreal. And when it did, and they made contact with a guy in Montreal at a warehouse, uh, the officers that had been, you know, hiding out in the street for fifty minutes, uh, you know, pounced and arrested them. The Montreal connection, sorry, the mafia connection comes into what the uh, the allegations of what uh, the FBI say was the man behind the Montreal load. And in fact, was allegedly very close to the, cart, uh, the Mexican distributors was a man uh, named uh, Roberto Scopa, who uh, that name rings a lot of bells for any mafia watchers, uh, particularly in Montreal, because he is the brother of uh, Andrea Scopa and Salvatore Scopa who were two leaders of the Montreal Mafia until they were murdered in the mob war there that, uh, that took hold. Um, so that, uh, you know, he, was, he was announced by the you know, U.S. attorney in uh, Los Angeles as an associate of the Italian Mafia in Montreal. And uh, that's what the FBI alleges uh, that involvement was.
0: We'll be right back. So after this big bust in Montreal that you just mentioned, there were some subsequent meetings between the informant and hires up. What more did the FBI learn about kind of the scope of this network and what was involved in, in, in moving these drugs around after that major bust? So,
1: uh, it got to a point where they, uh, the informant was arranging for so, much, uh, so many trips um, that they, they sort of stopped pretending. And uh, they used to arrange for a driver, and then uh, watch the driver and pull it over. They ended up just pretending to be the driver themselves, taking the loads, and just you know, as soon as they leave, immediately you know, seizing it because they they the (laughs) FBI and they had a couple of informants there, you know, posing. Uh, So I think they were really moving into trying to move into an you know an end phase to the investigation. They they had all the evidence they thought they needed uh, um, for you know drivers and distributors because they were. You know, sort of seen allegedly red-handed with the with the product. I think they really, really wanted to uh, to to make it bigger and wider and to go for the bosses. You know, it's something that's much harder to do and rarer to do, but also so much more important to do. Um, and so they got the the, the informant to 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 um, to go into Mexico wearing a wire. So after these arrests and some of the you know, it's a couple of raids on a couple of distributors' houses and stuff. They're, they're, it seemed like a, a prudent move that these organizations would want to, you know, look carefully at the organization and try and find the, the leak, the weakness or, you know, God forbid, the rat. And uh, and uh, and the informant was called down to meetings and he must have been absolutely petrified to do this. But he wore a wire down to Guadalajara and another meeting in Tijuana uh, with the alleged Mexican distributors at, at one of these, Roberto Scopa, the Montreal... Guy was allegedly there, and um, surprisingly, they didn't actually think accuse him of being the rat. Um, I think they were nervous that the uh, he was doing such a good job and such an important part of their operation. Um, I think they were more worried that they thought they might be the the weak link, and they were actually called him down to uh, to assure him that uh, of their operational security, uh, which he must have inside been just screaming with laughter. Um, because of course he was the operational security breach, but he had um, meetings uh, with uh, the alleged, uh, um, you know, senior three uh, guys in Mexico accused of being the distributors, and uh, the surprise appearance, perhaps, of the Montreal guy down there. Um, the informant says that uh, in these court documents that the uh, he was told that the Montrealer Winters spends his winters in Guadalajara, and that's presumably how he has some connection with these guys. But, um, but then after, after that um, maybe things were getting just a little too hot. They needed to wrap it up eventually. They couldn't keep uh, seizing and moving. And I guess uh, they wanted the informant to uh, survive, to testify if, uh, if that's on the cards. So they shut it all down. They um, got a grand jury indictment. And then um, very late last month, they, um, they unveiled this uh, operation dead hand at a large press conference Uh, announcing uh, 19 uh, indicted names, Uh, almost all, five of them Canadian, almost all of them have been arrested. There's like two, three uh, people that are still named fugitives, still named as fugitives, including two of the alleged uh, bosses in in Mexico. I guess that can be a little harder to to handle.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Ultimately, you know, we have these 19 people charged, five Canadians. How many how much in drugs and how much cash was seized as part of this? This sounds like it was a massive investigation.
1: Yeah, I mean they they seized uh, they well, they could have seized almost unlimited amounts. They 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 captured pretty much a, a ton of cocaine and a ton of methamphetamine, um, uh, metric tons, and um, you know there was uh, some I think twenty kilos of fentanyl and and maybe four kilos of, of heroin uh, mixed into that. A number of the, um, the, the the all of the heroin and a number of the uh, kilos of uh, of cocaine were seized in Canada. The RCMP says, and they also got a a, a whack of cash. Uh, I think, um, um, well, millions of dollars in cash. It was almost a million dollars, I think, in Canada alone. Um, so between the two countries, they uh, they they are the RCMP and the FBI and the various agencies involved were very very proud of uh, of the outcome. Of course. You know, now they got to uh, try and get it through the court system and uh, and see how it holds up.
0: Yeah, and and ultimately, when you're talking about cross border initiatives, I I would assume that although the Canadians were arrested in Canada, that the U.S. might be looking to extradite. What is the situation with the Canadians? Are there are they in custody? Are some of them out on bail? Um, and could they face extradition to the U.S.?
1: Yeah, they they all face extradition. They actually none of them are charged with anything in Canada um and they they were just arrested on provisional warrants on behalf of the United States um they've started having court appearances and we're going to be applying for bail i don't know the outcome of any of them so far they in most cases when i was checking on in on them all of the lawyers um um were were still trying to digest the extent of the case the extradition process isn't uh, isn't a quick one you know i think the us has um a couple of months to get all their documentation in. Uh, and then the the, US, uh, the Canadian uh, Justice Department in Canada has another month to decide whether they, they want to put it to, a, to a, court, a court judge to decide on their extradition. But eventually the plan uh, by the authorities is to have all five um, uh, from Canada um, f- face trial in the United States, where we might learn even a few more details. Mm-hmm. And I guess lastly, the the one question that may be
0: lingering for for listeners is the informant, the the person at the center of all this, that kind of sparked this wider investigation, helped bring down these bigger names, these bigger fish. Do we have any idea, any information on him? Um, I assume that the FBI are trying to protect his identity, but you know, is is he <laughs> been put in in protection? Is Will he have to testify any of these things? Do we know that at this point?
1: Um, Well, I could, uh, he's undoubtedly in, 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 in in some sort of witness protection. I I don't actually know too much about that and certainly don't know his security arrangements. I, you know, what I know about him is that, um, that one of his, um, one of the things he wanted to get in return from the feds is immigration uh, benefits. Um, So that suggests that he's not an American. Um, it, 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 Pro- probably possibly rules out him being canadian um but it's um it's certainly not an american and uh and that he's you know has has previous involvement allegedly with the with some of the guys so they'll know who he is um and uh and that's why he has to be protected because um, um you know these you know we start involving Mexican cartels and links to uh, montreal mafia and and, you know, Indo-Canadian uh, gangs or criminals, um, you, you know, these aren't, these aren't small-time operations. These are all mm-hmm. uh, large, well-funded and, uh, and potentially dangerous groups. Yeah.
0: Well, it certainly is a fascinating story, a look behind the curtain of organized crime in North America. Adrian, thanks for your time. Hey, thanks for your interest. Ten Three is produced by Sean Knox, theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Adrian Humphreys. More from him at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening.